Tonight's Bible reading is from the book of Psalm, chapter 40. Again, that is uh, Psalms, chapter 40. If you just split your Bible in half, it will probably be in that general region. Psalms, chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha! Aha! be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great! But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Um, tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 40, but before we get into it, I'm going to pray. So if you're the praying type, please bow your heads with me. Father God, we just want to thank you and praise you for the amazing God that you are. We thank you that you are a God who saves. Uh, we thank you that when we're in need, you are there, uh, and how you save us through your Son. Uh, Lord, I pray as we come to your word right now that you may teach us, you may change us and transform us. And Lord, you may help us to worship your son more and more. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I asked you, have you ever trusted someone you should not have trusted? Have you ever trusted someone you should not have trusted? Well, I did. A few years ago, I was, this is a few years ago, I was doing some exercise with a mate of mine. We we're doing push-ups, we we're doing some sit-ups and some other things. And then we decided to do some chin-ups. Now, luckily for me, my mate Mark had just bought a chin-up bar recently from eBay, which he wanted to test out. So I was like, sure, let's give it a go. And I'll give you a heads up. The way this bar works is that if you twist it in one direction, the bar extends out. But if you twist it in another direction, the bar extends in. So if you put it between like a door frame or between two vertical posts, it will be um, secure and anchored in. So anyway, my mate Mark set up the chin-up bar and then I decided to give it a go. Now, in that moment, I decided to trust someone I should not have trusted. 
Because you see, what my mate Mark forgot to tell me was a really important detail. And that is that you can only do chin-ups on one side of the bar. Because if you do it on the wrong side, then you will loosen the bar as you do a chin-up. And that's exactly what happened to me. After I did a few chin-ups, let's say like 50, I... <laughs> or one. Uh, anyway, uh, it gave way and I fell to the ground on a brick pavement. My knees smashed into the ground. I literally could barely walk for days. And I had a bru like bruises all over my knees, but even worse than that, I had a bruised ego. As my friend Mark told everyone, including my wife, who laughed at me a lot. <laughs> have you ever trusted someone you should not have trusted? My guess is that all of us here have. And all of us here have felt the painful consequences just like me. Emma and I love the TV show Survivor. Uh, it's a great show and it's currently airing its 32nd season. Uh, some of my friends have called me a Survivor evangelist because I'm always telling people to go watch it. It's on Thursday nights, 8.30, Channel Go, so you should watch it. Anyway, the reason why I love watching this show with my wife is not because of the different characters, the different locations, or the different challenges, although they are quite good. The reason why we love watching this show is because it just brutally reveals what humans are like. It really just is a case study of what we as humans are like. In every show, what occurs is that contestants... They're trying to win a million dollars. And the way they do that is they've got to outwit, outlast, outplay 16 other contestants on this island out in the middle of nowhere. And the really amazing thing about this show is that every single season, the characters, or the, not the characters, the people competing, have this same dilemma. And that is this Who will they trust? Who will they trust? And every season, people make the wrong choices and end up getting blindsided or betrayed. But you know what's interesting is that if you do not trust people in Survivor, you will also be betrayed or voted off. Because if you don't trust people, people won't trust you. It's a really simple show that highlights as humans, we need to trust people. We need to trust the right people, but we need to trust people. In the magazine, Psychology Today, uh, Dr. Stones, he wrote an article about trust and betrayal that I was reading this week. And what he said is this, it should hopefully come up on the screen. He said, human beings need to trust. Trust allays anxiety, helps lift depression, and makes it possible to consistently invest interest and enjoyment in one another. There could be no civilization, enduring health, or mental wellness without trust. The more, most ordinary interpersonal, commercial, medical, and legal interactions would be impossible without some degree of trust. You see, what the TV show Survivor demonstrates and what this doctor argues is that if we want to flourish in life, if we want to flourish economically, relationally, emotionally, physically, mentally, then despite the risk, we need to put our trust in other people. And I think we know this, don't we? If you're married here today, you'll know that if you don't trust your spouse, then you're going to have a difficult marriage. You know that if you're a worker here, if you don't trust your colleagues, then you're going to hate your workplace. I think we get this, but I wonder if we think this way in regards to God. I wonder if we think that for us to flourish in this life, for us to have joy, we need to trust in our good God and Creator. Because you see, the Bible, and specifically Psalm 40, teaches us that if we want to have joy, then we need to trust in our Creator, put our trust in Him, the only person who will never betray us, never blindside us, never abuse us, never manipulate us, never leave us, our God. 
Now, in response to this, maybe some of you are thinking, but Joel, it's, it's easy to trust in God when, when life is going well, but it's much more difficult to trust in God when life is difficult. You know, why should I trust in Him when my relationships are breaking apart? Why should I trust in Him when my income is stalling or my debt is rising or my body is failing? Why should I trust in Him then? In those moments of darkness and despair, why should I trust God? You know, that's a really good question and it's a really important question. You know what, I think it's a question that God wants us to wrestle with. How do I know that? Because he's given us Psalm 40 and he's given us the Psalms in general. And so tonight we're going to try and answer that question of why should I trust God in times of trouble? We're not going to find all the answers, but I think we're going to find a few answers by looking at Psalm 40. A Psalm that is about King David who trusted in God throughout his times of trouble. But before we look at Psalm 40 in particular and zoom into that text, I think we need to zoom out a little bit and make sure that we know three things before we tackle it. And the three things is this. Firstly, we need to know what are the Psalms? Secondly, we need to know is who is King David? And thirdly, we need to understand what is the situation in which David is writing this Psalm? So let's go through these three quickly before we tackle into the text. Firstly, what are the Psalms? Well, the book of Psalms, which has 150 Psalms, are basically a collection of songs. They're a collection of songs written by different people over about a thousand year period of time. Majority of them are written by a guy called David. And these songs are written and given to God's people to help them praise God, both in the good times and the bad times. That's why when you read the Psalms on, on one page, you see David is like, Lord, I feel so close to you. Thank you. Praise your name. And then on the next page, you think he's got like a memory like a goldfish. He's like, God, where are you? Like, help me. It's because the Psalms are written to help us understand what faith in God looks like in this emotional life. So that's the Psalms. What are they? They're songs to help us. Number two, who, who is King David? Now, we should all know this, but let me give you some help on this if you don't know. King David is a really important guy in the Bible. Matter of fact, I only looked this up this week. He's the only David that is mentioned in the Bible. And his name is mentioned 1,141 times. And no, I did not count every single time that was mentioned. He was the youngest of eight brothers, and he was the second king over Israel. His most famous conquest, which majority of us will know if you've been to church or not, is that he defeated Goliath. But he defeated many more people other than him. You see, David was a successful king, and the borders of Israel increased when he was their king. But David also had many enemies. He, had, he was constantly under attack from his enemies, his allies, and even his own family. David was rich, powerful, strong, and yet like you and me, or you and I, he needed a savior. And so secondly, who was King David? Well, he was a famous king, but he was also a person who needed a savior. Thirdly, historical things, what do we need to know is what is the situation in which David is writing this psalm? And this is a really important question because your answer to this question will determine how you interpret or how you read this psalm. And what I want to say to you is what it is, is in verse 12, when David says, for troubles without number surround me. And that's why in verse 13, he commands to God, be pleased to save me, Lord, come quickly, Lord, to help me. And so what is the historical situation? David is in trouble. And that's why he writes this psalm. 
So now that we know those three things, we're going to look at Psalm 40. And what we're going to learn from David tonight is we're going to learn three truths. Three truths that help David trust God in times of trouble. And three truths that I think help us in times of trouble as well. So if you have your Bible, open it up, look at Psalm 40. We're going to look at Psalm 1, I mean, Psalm 40, verse 1, and it should also come up on the screen. So let me read out to us verses 1 to 3. David said this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Let's just stop there. We don't know exactly what is the slimy pit that David is talking about, but I think that's probably what makes this psalm so beautiful and so relatable. But what we do know is that David was an emotional wreck and that his God came to his rescue. You see, the first three verses of this psalm is basically David's testimony of how God has saved him in the past. And what I find really cool about this testimony is how God is the hero. You see, notice how God is the subject of all the verbs and how David is the object. See how God turns, God hears, God lifts up, God sets David's feet, God gives David a firm place to stand, He even puts a new song in his mouth to praise God. In David's testimony, God is the hero and not him. I don't know about you, but personally over my time as a Christian, I've heard plenty of Christian testimonies or stories about how they've come to faith. And unfortunately, too often, God is not the hero, but he's a side comment. Not for David. God is the hero. You see, Psalm 40 begins by David reflecting on how God has saved him in the past. But then in verses 4 to 5, David steps back a little bit and reflects on how God saved him. Look at verse 4 with me. David says this, he says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Now, this is an important verse, so stick with me here, because I think this verse will help you understand the whole entire psalm. Why do I think that? Because there's two key words in this verse which are important to the book of Psalms. And those two key words is trust and blessed. So firstly, trust. This Hebrew word is used about 182 times in the Old Testament. And about a third of those occurrences happen in the Psalms. Basically, the word means to fall down and to worship at someone's feet. That is the meaning in terms of what the, the Hebrew word means here. Now, why is this the case? Why is this word repeated so often throughout the Psalms? Well, quite simply, because the book of Psalms is about how people trust in God in all circumstances. So the word trust is important. But the second word that's important is blessed. You see, how did, I don't know if you know this, but the Psalms, the book of Psalms begins in Psalm 1, as you'd think. But in Psalm 1, the first word it says is blessed. And it doesn't say, blessed be God or praise be to God, which is what you expect for a bunch of songs. But instead it says, blessed is the one who trusts, sorry, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, but who delights in the law of the Lord. See, this word blessed a synonym for it would be happy, or in other words, to translate it would be happy. And so this verse, in verse 4 of Psalm 40, we, we can translate it like this. We can say, happy is the one who trusts in the Lord, and it does not look to the proud or to those who turn aside to false gods. 
My guess is that when, this is a guess, that when David was in his slimy pit, he was tempted to listen to his arrogant friends. His friends are like, David, look, you don't, God doesn't know what happiness is. I know what happiness is. Happiness or, or blessedness is when you have lots of money. It's when you have lots of women. It's when you have lots of property. It's when you have lots of children. It's when you have lots of fame. But you know what? David had all those things. He was the king of Israel. And yet he knew. He knew verse 4, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. My other guess is that when David was desperate, when he was in this darkness and in, in place of despair, he was tempted to turn to the gods of other nations around him. But instead he knows that his God is the one who saves. That's why he says in verse 5, he says, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, none can compare with you. Were it to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. You see, David knew this first truth. He knew that God saves those who put their trust in him. A few years ago, I went uh, scuba diving with my dad, and my dad is a really experienced scuba diver. And one time as we were um, diving, I was looking under rocks to try and find some um, ocean wildlife. And anyway, as I was doing that, um, from nowhere, my dad came behind me and he just grabbed me and he pushed me towards the ocean floor as hard and as fast as he could. In that moment, I had no idea what, why he was doing it. And to be honest, I wanted to be like, get off me, like, leave me alone. But instead, I decided to trust my dad because I knew that he probably knows what's best. And as we came and we crashed into the ocean floor, I then turned to my side and what I saw was an anchor. Now, if you're wondering, what's an anchor? An anchor you know, secures a boat to the floor. Um, anyway, anchors by themselves are quite safe. But an anchor that is attached to a boat when it's stuck and it's trying to leave is very dangerous. You see, this anchor was stuck with some rocks and the boat above was trying to violently move to try and release the anchor. And so at any time and in any direction, this anchor could have flown off. As I was looking for fish underneath these rocks, I was oblivious to the danger next to me. And so my dad came, grabbed me, pushed me down as fast as he could. And luckily he did. It's only a few moments later that anchor snapped away. In that moment, the only person who could save me was my dad. I wonder if we think that in regards to our God. The only person who can save us the only person who could save David from his slimy pit and despair is the God, the God who he trusts in. Friends, when we're in a slimy pit, in darkness and despair, who do we call out to? Who do we patiently wait for? Who do we hope that will save us? Can I encourage you to take David's lead, to trust in our good God, our incomparable God, who saves David, but can also save you and me. David knew the first truth, which is from verses 1 to 5, that God saves those who put their trust in him. Let's look at the second truth that he knew in verses 6 to 10, and that is that God saves people so that they will praise him. Look at verse 6 with me. David says this, he says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and seed offerings you did not require. Let's just stop there for a second. 
In the Old Testament, after God had saved his people out of slavery in Egypt, he gave them the sacrificial system. And he gave it in the book of Leviticus. You can read it when you've got some spare time. Um, and in this, he gave it to, um, this system to his people for two reasons. The first reason was so that they would loathe sin, so that they would take their sin seriously. You see, God wanted them as it, to be horrified by these bloody sacrifices so they can understand how God is horrified by their sin. The second reason why God gave them this system was so that people would long for a perfect sacrifice. The system was elaborate and it was complex, but it pointed towards something better to come. Unfortunately, though, in King David's time, God's people forgot the purposes of the sacrificial system. And instead of offering meaningful sacrifices with broken hearts, they offered religious sacrifices with hardened hearts. You see, God's people made sacrifices not because they loathed their sin or they longed for a saviour, but because they wanted to just bribe God into getting some of his blessings. In the early 1900s, a woman called Anna Marie Jarvis, there should be a photo up here on the screen, there she is, uh, created Mother's Day in America. Now, Jarvis fought for this national holiday to show her love um, and appreciation for her hero, her mum. However, after Mother's Day became commercialised by Hallmark cards and others, Jarvis fought tooth and nail to abolish what she tried so hard uh, to um, create in the first place. You see, the commercialization of Mother's Day sickened her, especially Mother's Day cards. She said this in regards to Mother's Day cards. She said, A printed card means nothing except that you are too lazy to write to the woman who has done more for you than anyone in the world. I can understand that. Mother's Day deviated from its original purpose. And so did the sacrificial system in Israel. And knowing this reality, David says to God in verse 6, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, or burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Now what is David saying here? Isn't this contradicting what's been said in the Bible previously? Well, no. You see, what David's not saying here is that the sacrificial system is intrinsically meaningless. God created and gave it in the first place. But what David is saying is that it has become pointless because of the people and how they use it. You see, these people's hearts were offering religious sacrifices instead of sincere sacrifices from their heart. And you know what? David knew the second truth. He knew that God saves people, not so they can offer religious sacrifices, but so they can praise him. So they can praise him with their hearts instead of their empty actions. David knew that God wanted people to respond to him with emotional praise and public proclamation. David knew that God wanted people to respond to his salvation by sacrificing their own will to do God's will. That's why he says this in verses 7 to 10. It should be on the screen again. He says, Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Uh, when I was 
21 years old, I had a friend of mine and um, he gave me a sermon on a CD. At the time I went to church, but I didn't really like sermons. And anyway, I listened to this um, sermon on the CD and it was an hour-long sermon on the cross and how God saves us through faith in Jesus Christ. On that day, the Holy Spirit broke me. He broke me. I remember being at Central um, Station in the city with tears in my eyes, realizing my need for a Savior and how bad my sin is. It was almost like the Holy Spirit in that moment lifted my eyelids to see the slimy pit of sin and addiction that I was in. After that, by God's grace, I was able to repent of those sins and talk to people about it. And I remember for months afterwards that I felt the joy that David is explaining right here. I felt the the joy that David was experiencing. And in that moment, or at that time, someone gave me a book by John Piper. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, He's wrote a few books um, called Desiring God. And in this book, John Piper quotes um, the Westminster uh, Catechism, which says this. He says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a bit wordy. Let me explain what that means. In other words, what what John Piper argues is that the reason why you and I exist is to praise God and to enjoy him now and forever. And what John Piper argues in his book is that the best way that you can praise God and bring glory to him is to enjoy him, is to enjoy him. I remember this changed my thinking as to what it meant to be a Christian. I remember like, okay, so what it means to glorify God is not through joyless religion, but it's through a joyful relationship with my God. Church, I wonder if we truly believe that God saves us so that we may praise him and not offer empty religious sacrifices. Because, look, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I go through troubles or, or suffering, and, and can I be honest, I haven't gone through that much. I really haven't. But when I do, I am tempted to forget the gospel of grace. I am tempted to fall into the religion of works. I am tempted to forget that God loves me because of Jesus and not because of my actions. I'm tempted to forget in those moments when trouble surrounds me, I'm, I'm tempted to ignore the state of my heart and just to evaluate my actions, to think, Okay, if I only go to church more, if I only read the Bible more, if I only pray more, then then God will help me. God will bless me. God will get me out of this trouble that I'm in. Maybe you've fallen into this trap as well. Maybe you thought, if I only do these things, then maybe God will will save my marriage. Maybe he'll help me find find a job. Maybe he'll help me find a spouse to marry. Maybe he'll help my business, help my health. I hope just the anxiety that I have. Now, I want to clarify here. God is a good God and he does want to bless you. But what I want you to understand is this, is that the ultimate blessing that you could possibly have is not something materialistic, but instead is God himself. You see, God wants to bless you, but more importantly, he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. The first truth we learn from verses 1 to 5 is that God saves people who put their trust in him. But the second truth in verses 6 to 10 is that God saves people so that we will joyfully praise him. Let's now look at the third truth in verses 11 to 17 that David knew, which is God saves people from their greatest enemy. Look at verse 11 to 13 with me. It should be on the screen again. David says this. He says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord, 
May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surrounds me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to my help. Now, I mentioned this before, but it's important that I make this clear. And it's important to recognize that verses 11 to 17 are actually the circumstances of David as he wrote this psalm. You see, verses 1 to 10 is David reflecting on how God has saved him in the past. He's thinking about how God saves those who put their trust in him. He's thinking about how God saves people so they may praise him. But here he's reflecting, he's thinking, and he's praying that God will save him from his enemies. And most importantly, his greatest enemy. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, like, like what enemies did David have? He was a king of a mighty nation. He had plenty. The king he replaced, Saul, was constantly hunting him down to the point that David was in caves for many years. The Philistines were constantly trying to murder him. And his own family, his own sons, were trying to dethrone him. Which is why in verses 14 to 15, David pleads, he prays that God will put his enemies to shame. However, David's greatest enemy was not external, but it was internal. See, look at verses 12 with me again. David says this, he says, For troubles without number surround me, for my sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. When I read this, when it was read out to us before in the Bible, I, mean, I can sort of relate to this. You see, David's greatest enemy here wasn't external, it was internal, it was his own sin. And maybe some of you are thinking, wait a minute, isn't David like a hero of the Bible? Like, why is he mentioned 1,000 times in the Bible unless he's a good dude? Like, wasn't he the guy who had a heart after God? Well, yes, he was, but he was also a sinner. Notoriously, David committed adultery when he raped Bathsheba, and he committed murder when he killed her husband, Uriah. On top of that, though, David... Um, also uh, disobeyed the commands of the Old Testament, which was for God's king not to have many wives. He had eight wives. Not only was he a murderer, a rapist, and a polygamist, but he was also a terrible father to his 19 sons and his one daughter. His one daughter that he had, he allowed to be raped, and his numerous sons tried to kill him and tried to kick him off his throne and actually kicked him out of Jerusalem. You know, David maybe had money, power, strength, influence, fame. But like all of us, his greatest need was for God to forgive him of his sin, to defeat his greatest enemy, which is sin. You see, sin has brought shame to David and it separated him from the God whom he loved. That's why he uses such emotional imagery here when he says, my sins have overtaken me, I cannot see. There are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. You and I maybe not be murderers or rapists like David, I hope you're not. But the reality is you and I have, are like David and that we've done things that we know we shouldn't have done. We've thought things, we've said things. You know, this list of sins that I just read out to you about King David, it's horrifying. But I think we'd all be just as horrified if I got a list of my sins or your sins and put them on the screen and read them out here tonight. Because just like David, you and I, we need someone to defeat our greatest enemy of sin. We need a savior to save us from our slimy pit of ourselves. 
My guess is that when David was depressed and helpless, he was tempted to curse God rather than to trust him. But here in this psalm, David trusts God because he knows that God will save him from his greatest enemy, from the enemy of his own sin. You see, unlike his countrymen who didn't understand and had forgotten what the point of the sacrificial system was, David knew what it was there for. He understood it was there so he would loathe his sin. But he also knew that it was there to point towards a saviour, an ultimate sacrifice. That's why in verse 13, he calls out to God the Father, but also God the Son. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to my help. Or in verse 17, you are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. You see, in Psalm 40, it highlights to us how the sacrificial system was insufficient. You know, the, it points to us how a holy God cannot interact with unholy people. And they cannot worship, a whole, unholy people cannot worship a holy God or be in the same room because of their sin. You see, God's people, they needed their sin to be washed away, to be taken away. And they needed the just character of God to be satisfied from their sin. And the only way this was going to take place was through a sacrifice, a substitute in David's place or in our place. And that's why God gave them the sacrificial system. Not because that was the sacrifice, but because it pointed to the sacrifice. Hebrews 10 tells us that the sacrificial system was flawed. Because it was flawed because you had to keep on making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. It also says to us that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so what was the point of it? What was the point of all the blood, all the death? What was the point of it? It was to point to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. The ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, who at the cross defeated our greatest enemy, sin. David's enemy as well as ours. So those who trust in him and his resurrection may also have sin defeated and one day will praise our God forevermore. No more tears, mourning, or pain. Tonight, we've looked at Psalm 40, and we've tried to answer this question of why should I trust God in times of trouble? I haven't answered that question completely, but from looking at David, we've seen three truths. We've seen that God saves people who trust, put their trust in Him. Secondly, that God saves people so they may praise Him. And thirdly, God saves people from their greatest enemy. I don't know about you, but I love verses 1 to 3. Songs have been sung about it. It's a great testimony. Can I say to you that this can be your testimony as well? That God will, can save you, will save you from a slimy pit and put you on a solid ground. Now the promise of the scriptures isn't that God will defeat all your enemies or, or save you from all your troubles, but he will save you from your greatest enemy, from your greatest trouble. He will save you out of the greatest slimy pit and put you on the solid rock of Christ when you put your trust in him. Not so that you may perform religious sacrifices to him, but so you may enjoy him and enjoy him forever. At the start of this talk, I asked you, have you ever trusted someone you shouldn't have trusted? Now let me ask you a question. Have you not trusted someone that you should have trusted? Last week, I had coffee with Dr. Nick. 
Uh, he's a member here uh, at a 6 p.m. service, and he is an emergency doctor at Wollongong Hospital. And as we're having coffee, Nick told me a story of how one night a woman came into the hospital who was high on the drug ice. She tried to um, physically um, assault Nick, but she was held down by the nurses, though she was able to verbally assault him. Later that night, Nick saved this woman's life. And the next morning, Nick went and visited this woman. And he said to her with compassion, he said, look, I've, I've looked at your history of alcohol and substance abuse, and I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. Uh, but here at the hospital, we have plenty of resources that can help you. Uh, would you like to know more? Instead of trusting Nick and the other doctors at this hospital, this woman said no, and she just walked out of the hospital. Have you ever trusted someone, not trusted someone that you should have trusted? Like David, can I encourage you to trust God? Can I encourage you to trust God who will save you from your greatest enemy of sin and will bless you forever to worship him? When Dr. Nick told me this story, I mourned for this person. I thought, man, she's missing out on so much life, so much joy. If only that she was to trust the doctors who know best. And then Nick reminded me, helpfully, he said, how often don't we trust God? How often in troubling times do we ignore him and walk away from him? And how much joy do we miss out because of that? Church, as we, as we leave here tonight, can, can I remind you, can I plead with you to trust God for all the troubles and trials you'll go through? And can I remind you that trusting God is just not a once-off thing, it's a continual thing as you go through many different seasons of life. And as you leave here, can I, can I get you to infuse this into your brain? Verse 4, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord who saves. Let me pray to close. Father God, we are thankful for the amazing God that you are. Lord, we are thankful for your son and when he went through at the cross so that we may be forgiven, so our enemy of sin may be defeated, so we may praise you now, but also forevermore, so that sin may be defeated in our life because of Christ. Lord, we go through many trials, and we have many troubles in this life. And Lord, in those moments, I pray that you help us to be like David. I pray that you help us to trust you, to trust you. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.